Amen. You can be seated this morning. If you have a seat, there are not very many in here today, so uh, it is so exciting. You guys are glad to have a seat, all right? You, are you excited about a place? I'll have a few more seats. How about that? We, it is coming up quickly, and we are so excited. Man, I hope that you have enjoyed this series on the comeback in the life of Joseph. You guys enjoyed this because as I think about this, I think about this story of Joseph. And ever since I was nine years of age, I accepted Christ when I was nine years old. By the time I was 13, I knew that I was called into full-time ministry. And so this story of Joseph, I read and read and reread the different things that come out of the life of Joseph. Because in him, I saw a young man who was trying to be faithful to his God. And that's what I saw in myself, trying to be faithful. Now, I am no longer a young man. I have made that, that has become very obvious to me as I think about these things. But it is this passage and this story that has just continually spoken to my heart. I'll never forget Psalm 119 verse 9 says, How can a young man keep his way pure by living according to the Word of God? And I absolutely love this story And love what we are learning through the life of Joseph, this comeback. As we just sang about the resurrection, we know that Jesus is our comeback. Amen? As we think about His life and His life in us, you need to understand that all these Old Testament stories are always pointing forward to Jesus Christ. They are all a model of who Jesus Christ is and who He wants to be in our life. When we look at Adam, we see Adam as a, as a forerunner of Jesus Christ because as Romans declares, Adam brought sin into the world and Jesus repaired our issue with sin. Amen? So we see this Old Testament story pointing forward to Jesus. We see Abraham. It points forward to who Jesus is, that Abraham came from a land that he knew and he went to a land that he did not know in order to be a blessing to all the nations. And in Jesus Christ, he is a blessing because of the gospel to all the nations. When we see the story of Noah, we see Noah actually um, redeemed a generation, redeemed humanity by going into an ark that was made of wood. And Jesus Christ goes to a cross and redeems All humanity from a cross as he's placed upon it. A cross made of wood. And when we get to Joseph. We see Joseph going into a pit. Going down to Egypt. Being there for a whole generation to redeem a generation. And going into a prison. And we see Jesus Christ going to the prison of a grave for three days. But coming up out of that grave. Amen. And through his resurrection. Y'all are going to have to say amen more than that. All right. The first service says amen better than this second service. And you guys are going to have to get with the plan. That's all I'm saying. All right. That Jesus Christ was resurrected from the tomb. Thank you. All right. And when he was resurrected from the tomb, he brought our lives together with him. This is the story. It is the beauty of who Joseph is. But today, we find Joseph in a prison. 
And as we have talked about so many times, I don't know what your prison is. I don't know what you need to be resurrected from. I don't know whether you got bad results from a a test at a doctor's office a few weeks ago. I don't know if you are living with cancer and you are struggling with that. I don't know if your financial condition is way askew and, and you are looking for God in the midst of that. I don't know if you are awaiting a divorce or something is going on in your personal life. I don't know if you are struggling with a teenager, but whatever your potential prison is, we see Joseph in the midst of a prison and discovering incredible things from God. I've entitled this today, Testing and Training in the Prison of Patience. Now, we all love the word patience, do we not? I hope you have learned not to pray for patience, right? Because when you pray for patience, what is God going to give you plenty of opportunities to do? To exhibit patience. Because if you're praying for it, Lord knows He is going to give you opportunities to live it out. But I think it's incredibly important for us to read this passage today and for you to to actually glean it all together as one. And then we're going to come back through and break it down. So we're going to go to to Genesis 39 in the last chapter, uh, the last, excuse me, the last verse. Now we know that there were no chapters and no verses in the original manuscript of this. Okay, we get that, I hope. Because there were no chapters that kind of delineate this. This is simply for your reading plan and so that we can index things and be able to go to a particular place that, that authors and, and editors much later place these within uh, the Scripture that we have. But we know that this is a flowing text. And so I think the better place to start with this is actually at the end of of chapter 39, because it gives us the context for which we're going forward. And it says, The Lord was with him, meaning Joseph, and caused everything he did to succeed. And then it says, Some time later. Now, we don't know how long that is, and that's one of the key things that we need to understand today. We don't know how long all of this took. We can read about Joseph from Genesis 36, 37 on to about 51, and we think that this story just happens just like this, and it doesn't. Joseph is spending long amounts of time, sometimes in the pit, sometimes on the way to Egypt. We don't know how long that took him to get there. Sometimes on the auction block. We don't know how long that took. In Potiphar's house, we don't know how long he was there. In the prison, we don't know the specific amount of time. But in chapter 41, it says, some full two years later. We know Joseph was in this prison at least for two years. I want you to imagine, if you would, You go to the doctor's office and they say, I'll have your test results in two years. Okay? Think about that. I'll let you know, our high school senior, whether you passed your final class in two years and then you can go ahead and progress on to college or wherever you you need to go. Hey, that test, that exam that you took, that you sat for so that you could... uh, deal with securities and things. Hey, we'll let you know in two years whether you'll get that bump in salary because of you passing that particular exam. You see what I'm saying? Two years is a long time when we're thinking about this. But sometime later it says, Pharaoh's chief cupbearer and chief baker offended their royal master. Now they offended the royal master. They offended the Pharaoh, but we don't know what they did. 
We don't know if Pharaoh asked for a Chardonnay and instead he was brought a Merlot by the cupbearer and therefore he was upset or offended. We don't know if he asked the chief baker for cream cheese icing and instead he got whipped icing on his cupcake. We don't know what offended Pharaoh. All we know is he is offended. How many of you would be offended by whipped icing? Okay, thank you. Do not attend any of my particular family events because I like the whipped icing. All right. Nevertheless, it says Pharaoh became angry with these two officials, and he put them in prison where Joseph was, in the palace of the captain of the guard. Now, that's key. In the palace of the captain of the guard. Now, where was this? Who was the captain of the guard? It was Potiphar. And you see, Potiphar more than likely had a jail that was attached to his house, but he was the captain of the palace Guard is who Potiphar was. Now, this is incredibly interesting, as Pastor Bart brought up a couple of weeks ago, in that he said, you know, Potiphar could have had Joseph killed, but what did Potiphar understand Joseph to be? He was that sugar stick that continued to allow Potiphar's life to go really well. So Potiphar didn't want to kill Joseph. And even though he may have believed his wife's story about Joseph and him trying to rape her, he instead did not kill him but placed him in the prison connected to his house. Because I believe Potiphar wanted the blessing of Joseph's God to continue. You see, where Joseph was, was in the prison next to Potiphar's house, and they remained in prison for quite some time. Again, we don't have a definitive amount of time. And the captain of the guard, that's Potiphar, assigned these prisoners to Joseph who looked after them. Now, while they were in prison, Pharaoh's cupbearer and baker each had a dream one night, and each dream had its own meaning. And when Joseph saw them the next morning, he noticed that they both looked upset. So why do you look so worried today, he asked them. And they replied, we both had dreams last night, but no one can tell us what they mean. Interpreting dreams is God's business, Joseph says. Go ahead and tell me your dreams. So the chief cupbearer and Joseph told him his dream first. In my dream, he said, I saw a grapevine in front of me. The vine had three branches, and they began to bud and blossom. And soon it produced clusters of ripe grapes. And I was holding Pharaoh's wine cup in my hand. So I took a cluster of grapes and squeezed them into the cup. Then I placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. This is what your dream means, Joseph says. The three branches represents three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift you up and restore you to your position as his chief cupbearer. The chief cupbearer is like, that's awesome. All right, and please remember me and do me a favor, Joseph says, when things go well for you. Mention me to Pharaoh so that he might let me out of this place. Now, this is the only time where Joseph gives this message of truth. This is not a complaint. This is absolute truth from Joseph. For I was kidnapped from my homeland, the land of the Hebrews, and now I'm here in prison. But I did nothing to deserve it. Now, the plot thickens. When the chief baker saw that Joseph had given the first dream such a positive interpretation, the chief baker goes, yeah, all right, this is for me. This is my opportunity to shine. So he said to Joseph, well, Joseph, I had a dream as well. And in my dream, that can you see the look on his face? Can you see the excitement in his voice as he goes through this? There were three baskets of white pastries stacked on my head. The top basket contained all kinds of pastries for Pharaoh. But the birds came and ate them from the basket on my head. Well, Joseph says, this is what the dream means, Joseph told him. 
The three baskets also represent three days. He's on the edge of his seat waiting for his good news. Three days from now, Pharaoh will lift you up and impale your body on a pole. All right? Talk about a major road break in the story, you know? Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, the cupbearer, yeah, he gets restored back. But you get impaled upon a pole. I will not tell you what being impaled upon a pole is, but it is not good, brothers and sisters, this morning. I can assure you of that. And so, he says, just to make it worse, then the birds will come and peck away at your flesh. I mean, talk about... Uh, a, a bad movie where the birds come and peck. How many of you have had it? No, don't raise your head. I don't want to interpret that dream for you. But birds pecking away at your flesh would be a nightmare for me uh, in particular. All right. But Pharaoh's birthday came three days later. And he prepared a banquet for all of his officials and staff. And he summoned his chief cupbearer and chief baker to the, join the other officials. He then restored the chief cupbearer to his former position so that he could once again hand Pharaoh his cup. But Pharaoh impaled the chief baker just as Joseph had predicted when he interpreted the dream. And Pharaoh's chief cupbearer, however, forgot all about Joseph, never giving him another thought. That's rough. And then we go into 41, and it's simply, I just want to say the first four words. Two full years later before there's any resolution to this story. And where do we have Joseph in the midst of this? Joseph is waiting on God. Have you ever thought about this? How much we wait upon God and how much we experience potential testing? I got to tell you, this week, I absolutely blew it. All right? Now, you guys are now taking notes. How did Randy blow it this week, all right? Just keep in mind, it happens typically weekly for me, typically daily, but I blew it this week, and it happened for me in my life group on Wednesday night because Mike Gunther asked a phenomenal question. His question was simply this. Do you think sometimes as we were going over last week's passage and last week's message, as we were thinking about what this meant for us, he said this. Do you think that sometimes God tests us? And that was his question. Now, me trying to be the Bible answer man and not wanting to make God look bad, as if I could make God look bad, I wanted to answer this in such a way. Now, keep in mind, it had been a rough week already. There had already been all kinds of things that had gone on in my life. I'll share with them a few uh, a little bit later. There had been a subcontractor out on the job site that had done something that I thought was really wrong, and I wasn't very happy about that, and I was thinking about that. Pastor Bart and I and Danny and Kyle had visited several churches on Wednesday morning, and we were looking and dreaming about things that, that God might do and God could do, and, and just kind of as we thought about some, we saw some other Uh, churches that were being built in our area. We were so excited about that. And I roll into Wednesday night, probably not as prepared as I needed to be. I know that shocks many of you. My wife, it shocks not at all. All right. And so here I am. I'm Randy Miller, the king of wing, as I am called by the rest of our staff. And so I'm trying to wing it through this particular study. And Mike asked a great question. Do you think at times that God is testing us? And I say, no, I don't think God tests us to which Chad Colburn, who's running the slides today, is sitting two seats away from me. It's me, then Jennifer, then Chad. 
Chad opens up his phone to Psalm 105, which Bart had shared in last week's message, and he hands it to me, and it says, and God tests us. And I went, let's go on to something else, all right, as we, as we keep talking about this. Because how foolish I was, I was late in my sermon prep for this week already on Wednesday, and so I hadn't even really looked at all the passages and things I was going to be preaching on this very week. Does God test us? Absolutely. God tests us. Matter of fact, this past Tuesday, I gave a test in my, uh, in my class at Tarrant County College. And I gave my students an opportunity for me to discover if they were following along with me. Do you see where I'm going with this? You see, a test is simply our opportunity that God gives us to see if we are tracking with the things that He's trying to teach us. That's what a test is. And ladies and gentlemen, we walk into a test every day of our life where a test is truly this. It is an opportunity for us to put into action the things that God is showing us that we need to do. And many of us are in this prison that we call waiting. And the question is, are we listening and are we heeding the examples that God has in store for us? So as we walk through this passage today, I want us to think about this first point, which is simply this. Waiting is the training ground that God uses to transform our character. Waiting. What was Joseph doing? He was waiting. His particular place was a prison. I don't know where you're waiting. I'm waiting in a lot of different places in my life this week. But some of you are waiting on test results. Some of you are waiting on a divorce to be final. Some of you are waiting for a child to come back to the Lord. But as Christians, you realize we are people who are waiting. Are we not? What are we waiting for? We're waiting for the return of Jesus Christ. We are a people who are waiting. So does waiting mean that we're passive? Absolutely not. Waiting is a very active place where we continue to exhibit the things that God is training us within. But we're waiting for all kinds of things. We're waiting for babies to be born. This week as my daughters drove to Arkansas to be with my niece uh, and, and her family, as parents of, tw- of a 21 and a 19-year-old who are loafing on the road, if you know what I mean, parents, you're waiting. When did you cross the state line? When did you arrive or have you arrived? We're waiting to see if those things take place. You wait for a callback on a job. You're waiting for a promotion. You're waiting to finish junior high. You're waiting to finish high school. You're waiting for that college degree. You're waiting maybe for that pink slip to show up in your box. Our culture does not like to wait. How many of you live in or around Boat Club Road? Raise your hands. There you go. We all know what waiting has become, don't we? As we wait in one lane of traffic waiting for that truck to say, follow me, and we go around as we experience waiting. We're waiting on all kinds of things. This week, our microwave went out in our house that we bought in August, and the microwave is already dead. And I discovered what life was like not having a microwave. How, on God's green earth, do you warm up your coffee when it's cold and you don't have a microwave? Well, ladies and gentlemen, I discovered this week that I put a pan on the stove and turned it on and poured my coffee into the pan and miraculously... It heated up. But then I discovered 
that coffee heated up in a pan gets hotter than it does in the microwave. <laughs> Especially when that stuff is boiling. And it will burn your mouth if you do that. So I, I missed my microwave and I had to wait longer to heat up things. And I was annoyed at my waiting. You see where I'm going? We get annoyed with waiting, do we not? In the first service, some lady goes, poor baby. <laughs> I said, come out, Jezebel. But she didn't. I don't know what happened with that. But I said, lady, only my wife calls me baby. You quit that. All right? I don't understand what you're saying. And then I got to wait on a repairman to show up. And I mean, I wish you could have been there because the repairman comes in and I kind of scoffed at him. I went, oh, you know, it's a microwave. I'm sure you're going to tell me i got to buy a new microwave. He goes, no, I can fix your microwave. I guarantee I'll fix it. I'm like, oh, yeah, we'll see. In less than 20 minutes, he fixed my microwave. <laughs> I said, well, I tried to fix my microwave one time when the little, deal, the little clip on the door broke and I took the whole door off. He goes, no, you don't want to do that. I said, yeah, I discovered that. I discovered that you don't want to do that. I, I had to wait on the, on the repairman, and I was annoyed. And you see, we have to wait on all kinds of things in our lives, don't we? And we forget that the actual waiting is the actual thing that God wants to work out in our lives. That waiting really is the training ground. For Joseph, it was a pit. It was a house. It was a prison. It was an auction block. And all the while, in the waiting, in the midst of these environments, God was refining the character of Joseph. Refining him over time. Remember Joseph, in, in Genesis 41, we finally discover two full years later, what was it like for Joseph to be forgotten for two full years? It was just another step in the waiting period for Joseph as God was refining his character. You see, it's in the waiting that the rough edges are knocked off our lives. That the chisels are kind of taken off. And I don't know what the chisels look like in your life that are refining your life and chipping away everything that does not look like the character of Jesus Christ. I don't know what those chisels look like. But men, sometimes those chisels look like our wives. Yeah, y'all can laugh at that. Amen. Amen. Chisel never looks like your wife though, sir. It looks like my wife, yeah. Sometimes it looks like our children. When they come to us and they say things, well, Dad, that's how you always handled this, so I just handled it in the same way. Huh. Yeah, it goes in deep. Sometimes it's our boss that is chipping away things in our character that don't look like Jesus Christ. Sometimes it's just the circumstances. Sometimes it's that teacher at school. Sometimes it's that coach that is helping to refine our character. That Whether they know it or not, they're helping us to look more and more like Jesus Christ. Look at Romans chapter 5, which says this, verse 3 and 4. We can rejoice, too, when we run into problems and trials. Oh, yeah, we're always saying that, don't we? Well, I'm rejoicing that I'm running into problems and trials. I'm rejoicing when I'm having to wait. For we know that they help us develop endurance. And that it, that's waiting, by the way. And endurance develops strength of character. And character strengthens what? Our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead us 
to disappointment. You see, salvation is being made and crafted and continually built in us. It's being created in us. And now this is not talking about the point of salvation where we were justified in Christ. This is what we call sanctification. In other words, on a daily basis, my life is being honed and chiseled away to look more and more like the character of Jesus Christ. More tomorrow than it does today. More next week than it looks like the next week. And what God is using is all of these waiting periods and times in our lives to bring us to this point. I've been running again recently, and Bart has been pushing me in running. And I have been pushing him in CrossFit. If you don't know what CrossFit is, have you ever seen the CrossFit games? Okay? Our CrossFit looks nothing like that. All right? Absolutely nothing like that. We meet at 7.30 in the mornings, and uh, Zach Farr, you're always invited to join us doing this. So 7.30 over at my house, and we, we do these workouts together. But the reason we do that is because we are trying to build up and strengthen our bodies. Maybe lose weight, maybe do this, but here's the thing. We want to be your pastors for a long time. So we want to try to keep our bodies in shape. And by the way, if you do this for three times on a Sunday, I guarantee you you will feel it if you're not trying to keep in shape. But what we're trying to do is to build endurance. And Bart is challenging me to run, and he challenged me last Friday. He didn't go with me, but he challenged me to run around Marine Creek Lake, okay, six miles. Now I have an IT band that connects from here all the way up to my hip that tells me when I've gone four miles, okay? It screams at me when I go four. But literally, as I was hitting that fourth mile, I was listening to Bart to just saying, keep going, keep going. I could hear his voice, although he was not there with me because he would have been way ahead of me if he had. But nevertheless, he's saying, push forward. Why? It's endurance. When you're tired and you continually to move, continue to move forward, that's what develops endurance in your life and mine. When you are waiting and you don't want to wait anymore and you continue to push forward, you are learning more and more of the character of Jesus Christ that's being placed upon you. Whatever area of life you are today, if you're a 7th grade young lady in this room or if you're a 75-year-old man in this room, God is still using us and continually allowing us for our character to be constantly formed and transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. Through what? Through our waiting. 2 Corinthians 4.17 says, For our present troubles are small. Now, they don't look small to us. I know that. They look big to us. But in the light of eternity, they are small and won't last very long. Yet, they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. The picture is literally of a scales that says, glory, God's glory weighs down the scales and our temporary waiting is very light in comparison with God's glory and what He's going to accomplish in your life and through your life and with your life and mine. These scales make that difference. Rick Warren is a pastor in Southern California, but he's a pastor who's wrote many books, done a lot of different things, but Rick has also gone through incredible tragedy in the suicide of his son. And here's what Rick says. What's the purpose of your problems and difficulty? He says this, God wants you to learn something. Every storm is a school. Every trial is a teacher. Every experience is an education. And every difficulty is for your 
development. So often we want to get out of the struggle. We want to get out of the waiting. We want to move on to the next place in life. Yes, I do it just as much as you do. But here's what God is saying. Every difficulty is for your development. That's what life and faith and understanding the word of God will lead us to. So what does it lead us to? It leads us to embrace the waiting. Embrace it. Psalm 37 verse 7 says, Be still in the presence of the Lord and wait patiently. Now that's not, an, again, a passive waiting. That is an active waiting, doing everything that we know God has told us is His available will. Like living in godliness. Like paying our taxes and being subject to the authorities of this world. Like loving our wives and preparing for our ki- children and loving our, our husbands in whatever case you're in. It's we are doing the things that God has called us to do. Waiting does not mean being idle, but he says wait patiently for him to act. Don't worry about evil people who prosper or fret about their wicked schemes. A.W. Tozer says this, that it is doubtful whether God can bless a man greatly until he has hurt him deeply. It is doubtful that God will bless a man greatly until it has hurt him, until he has hurt him deeply. Now, at first, that seems like a very difficult statement, but I have absolutely seen this to be true. The men and women that I have watched grow through the greatest difficulty in grief or loss or struggle, and they stay in tune to God, are the people that I have learned the most from in my life. Because I've watched them endure and I've watched their spirit soar in the midst of that and the people that I've seen go through difficulty and then they take a nosedive because they say God if this is who you are I'm done with you their lives crash and burn waiting is the place that God uses it's the thing that God uses to transform our character into the likeness of his son The second thing I want us to look at today is that a life focused outward cannot be focused inward. A life focused outward cannot be focused inward. I borrowed these from Coach John Abenshan, and they are all the rage. You will be seeing them on the fashion stage of 2017. So as I wear them today, these are fashion goggles. How many of you know what these actually are? Raise your hand. Okay, these are my coaches or athletes in the room. Now, you don't know what these are, but if I were to take a basketball and to put it in my hand, then you would begin to see what this is all about because these goggles enable a young person or an adult or whomever to always be focused outward, and they provide a way, if you'll see, where you cannot look down so that when you're practicing with the basketball, you can hear Luke Skywalker say, Randy, Be the basketball. Know where the basketball is at all times. Feel the basketball. Be one with him. But what's the point? The point is no taking pictures of me when I'm doing this, okay? (laughs) The point is this. These are used by coaches because a person who's learning to dribble a basketball, if they're looking up, you can tell very noticeably if they're looking down at the basketball. But they are learning skills to know how to always be focused outward instead of focusing down and inward. And that's what we need to learn as we experience Christ in the midst of our difficulty. And that is a life that is focused outward cannot 
be focused inward. We see this in the life of Joseph. Genesis 40, verse 5 and 6. While they were in prison, Pharaoh's cupbearer and and baker each had a dream one night. And when Joseph saw them the next morning, he noticed that they both looked upset. Now, Joseph had reason to be coiled up in a corner in the fetal position saying, Why me? Why me? Why has this always happened to me? I've never done anything to anyone. And cry, cry, cry. That's what Joseph should have been doing. We would understand it, would we not, if Joseph had been doing that since we know his story. But instead, what is he doing? He is noticing the emotions of other men that he is taking care of. I'm not going to get an amen, ladies, please, from those husbands that actually pay attention to your emotion. No, we're not going to go there today. But the point is this. A life that is focused outward is not capable of looking only at our own issues. We see in the life of Joseph, not only that, he says, why do you look so worried today? He could have been complaining, but instead he was focused on what was going on in the lives of other people around him. What an example to us. As we walk through difficulty, as we walk through our period times of waiting, that we need to be focused outward. I can't tell you how many times in which I've counseled with people that I encourage them that the first step that they should take if they are struggling with something internally is to look out at other people's situations and their lives rather than always looking on their own circumstances. Why? Because you can't focus out and focus in. At the same time, I hear it from our Stephen ministers all the time as they talk about, as they try to meet the needs in other people's lives, it brings all of the things in their own life into perspective of where God is really dealing with them. Hebrews 12, 2 and 3 helps us to understand this. How in the world do we do that? How do we keep this external focus on others? We do this, chapter verse 2 of Hebrews 12 says, we do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus. The champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor besides God's throne. Think of all the hostility. The example of Joseph to the example of Jesus Christ. Think of all the hostility that Jesus endured from sinful people on the cross. Then you won't grow weary and give up. I know it's easy to live life in the pit. I know it's easy to put on the purple robe of depression and walk around with the struggle that it is. It's not easy, but I'm saying it's easy to keep it on. I know that the cloud that sometimes follows us, but the point of this is still absolutely true, that we cannot look out at others and always be focused on our own issues. Now, here's what I'd say. Depression is very real. And clinical depression is a different understanding than what I'm talking about here. But nevertheless, this point is still true. When we focus out, it's impossible for us to always look at our own issues. Look at Philippians 2, verse 4. 
Don't look out only for your own interest, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. What did he say? Don't look out for others for your own interest, but in the interest of others too. How plainly does it need to be? You look out on other people, not only on yourself. Though Jesus was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to hold on to or cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges and he took the humble position of a slave, born as a human being. Born in human form, he humbled himself to obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. When we are outward focused, we can't focus on all the things that are going on around us. When we are focused on what God wants to do and the people that he's placed in our life, then we're not so concerned about all the waiting and the time that it's taking for him to mold and transform our character into what he desires us to be. This was so vividly seen by me When we went to Honduras on our very first trip, as Perry Lunsford led us to Honduras, the country coordinator there, his name was Emilio. And I fell in love with Emilio the very first time I met him with his personality and his vibrance and everything that he was doing uh, and how God was blessing him there. But on about the fourth day of our drill time, our drill hose, the hydraulic hose, busted on our drill rig. And I was devastated. I mean, here we had people who had spent $1,700 to be on this particular mission trip. And by golly, we needed to drill our well in this village. Because it was not about the village. It was about us being successful in drilling the well. And that's sometimes how we can be. And Emilio changed my life when he said, God's not surprised that our hydraulic hose busted. The question is, we need to look up. And see why he allowed this to happen. And our people, because we couldn't drill the well, went into the village and began to know the people of Campo Nuevo. And my life was forever changed in seeing how God operated. That even in, when it didn't fit my view of success, that he was actually working in us because our focus had to turn outward instead of what we wanted to accomplish on that trip. So while I'm waiting, what do I do? Do I focus on the life that's happening around me? Do I focus on the people that God has placed in my path? Get your eyes up. My question is this, as you're going through your waiting, who does God have in your particular path that He wants you to speak into their life rather than focusing on all the issues? This comes straight from the story of Joseph. The third thing that we see today in Joseph's life in the prison is this. A God-centered focus gives us a purpose in all of our circumstances. When we are focused on God, when it's a God-centered focus, it gives us purpose for anything that happens. Genesis 40 verse 8 says, We both had the dreams last night. No one can tell us what they meant. And Joseph says this, Interpreting dreams is God's business. Now, this is a huge step away from where Joseph was when he was probably a teenager. You remember what Joseph was like when he was a teenager? As he would have dreams, he would tell anyone who would listen what the dream meant and what it meant about him. But now we see Joseph in a different light. Joseph has gone through the waiting. He's gone through the transformation of his character. And now he says this instead. Interpreting dreams is God's business. He has a God-centered focus. 
with whatever your talent, with whatever your ability, with whatever uh, business acumen that God has given you, with whatever potential skill to teach others or to do things with others. My question is this, in the midst of that, do you have a God-centered focus? In that group of people that you have influence over, that you, there, there are other guys on your team or girls on your team or, or, or some neighbor that's in your neighborhood, there are people who are watching you. And my question is, do you have a God-centered focus that leads your skills and abilities to glorify Him rather than looking only at what it does in your life? This is what waiting will do to us when we submit to it. Remember that Joseph's life as when he was young took on a whole different meaning. Dreams were a way for him to promote himself. And now they are a way for him to promote who God is. John 15 verse 5 says, Yes, I am the vine, and you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me you can do what? For apart from me you can do what? So a God-centered focus says this, I can't do anything that amounts to anything in and of myself. But a God-centered focus gives me that opportunity to see what He wants to do with my life as opposed to just what I want to do with it. And we learn that from Joseph as he waits in the prison. You see, here's the point of this. God's goal is your training. It's not your triumph. God's goal is your training, not your triumph. What do I mean by that? I wish I could tell you when your trial was going to end. I wish I could tell you that you were going to get up out of that particular sickness that you're in and you will, you will uh, in, in two weeks, you'll walk out of that. But I can't tell you that. I can't tell you when your relationships will be made whole. I can't tell, where, when, tell you when your financial crisis will be averted. I can't tell you when you will find that spouse or even if you'll find that spouse. I can't tell you those things, but here's what I can tell you. God's goal is in your training, not your triumph. I don't know that these things are going to be resolved in this life. Unfortunately, you can go to a few other places, even around the Metroplex, and you can be told that God's goal in your life is your success, and that is not true. God's goal in your life, or how you, you view success, God's goal in your life and my life is His success. And I don't always know what the timetable of that is going to be. And I'm just being honest with you about that. Sometimes we can give the impression that, look, if you'll just gut it out a little bit longer, you're going to get to see the victory. I can't even tell you that, that you're going to see the victory in this life. What I can tell you is God's going to train you through it. And He's going to get glory as a result of your life. And that that's really, in the scope of things, is going to outweigh everything that we even understand in this life. His goal is your training, not your triumph. 1 Peter 4 helps us to understand that. He says, For these trials make you partners with Christ in His suffering. When you go through difficulty, when you go through that grief of that loss of your loved one, when you go through that pain that you experience through whatever circumstances that we've tried to bring out today, you're participating in Christ's suffering. When you participate in Christ's suffering, what that means is you are discovering a part of God, literally, that someone else may not experience. Because they've not been through the particular suffering that you've been through. He's going to meet you in the midst of that suffering. And if you will submit to it, He will continue to grow you because your training is, is the goal in this. 
so that you will have the wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it's revealed to all the world. When God's glory is revealed to all the world, we may be sitting on the other side of heaven, not this side. And I may not know why I went through some of the pain that I went through. Sometimes I get to see the why, but I don't always get to see that. And you don't always get to see it. Verse 19 says, So if you're suffering in a manner that pleases God, keep on doing what's right. And trust your lives to the God who created you. For He will never fail you. Unfortunately, I will tend to fail you. Unfortunately, other people will tend to fail you. But if you trust and submit to God in the midst of your difficulty, in the midst of your waiting, He will never fail you. One final thing I want us to see. It's this. Integrity is a life lived in instant obedience. Integrity is a life lived in instant obedience. Now, we kind of laughed about it earlier, but how would it have been for Joseph to give the baker the news that he gave him? That's rough. I've been in that position where I've knocked on the door late at night, and I've had to tell my close friend, your son was killed in a car accident. That's news that nobody wants to give. I don't want to be that person. I didn't like being that person, but I was that person. But you see, the, the thing we learn from Joseph's life is this. Integrity is a life lived in instant obedience. That's exactly what he did. When he heard the news, when he heard the dream of the baker, he said, this is what the dream means. Verse 18. The three baskets also represent three days. From now, Pharaoh will lift you up and he will impale your body on a pole and the birds will come and peck away at your flesh. So thankful for a group of guys that I get to pray with most Saturday mornings early. And one of those guys is Kevin Robinson. I can't tell you how many times Kevin has prayed this. God, when, when you tell me to go left, I'll go left. When you tell me to go right, I'll go right. When you tell me to stop, I'll stop. When you tell me to go, I'll go. What is he saying? It's immediate obedience. When you sense the, the Spirit of God urging you, 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 need, to, you need to run away <laughs> like Joseph ran away. This is a time you need to run away. You need to go out. You need to do something else. You need to stop. You need to turn left here. You need to turn right here. You need to do this. You need to watch this person. You need to open your life to this person. Joseph was a man who lived with integrity, and when the messages got hard, he still delivered the message. Alistair Begg, I love to listen to Alistair Begg and his Scottish brogue and his, a pastor uh, in Pennsylvania. I think it's in Pennsylvania. But nevertheless, he, he, he said this. And it took me aback. He said, when he was talking about Joseph here, he said, Joseph gave the baker an incredible gift. And I said, what? With this news, he gave him an incredible gift. And here's what he meant. He gave the baker a specific expiration date of his life. He had three days. I haven't noticed, but do you guys see an expiration date imprinted on either one of your, the bottoms of your feet? Do you see those expiration dates? No, we don't have those. We don't know how long we have. But here's the truth. Every day of our lives, we, we say to ourselves, I don't want to be like Joseph and have to deliver messages like that. But every day of our lives, we walk among a people whose expiration dates 
and their destination when those dates occur. We know what they are because they don't have a relationship with Christ. And every day we walk in and around them. And does our life have the integrity to say, follow the one I am following? Does your life have the integrity that when God places that person in your life, that instead of ignoring it, instead of taking the easy road, instead of taking the politically correct road, and I'm not going to offend someone by asking them if they have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Is it any of my business? Yes, it is your business. Because integrity is a life that's lived in instant obedience. And we have life to give people in the waiting room of our lives. Because Hebrews 9 is very clear. Hebrews 9, 27. And just as it's appointed unto man to die once, and after that comes judgment. Here's what I know today. I'm speaking to a room of about 170 people who one for one will likely die. Not likely. Who will? One for one. I don't know a lot of statistics today, but one for one, it's going to happen to all of us. And the question is this. Am I willing to live my life with the kind of integrity that says, follow the one whom I am following? Does your life live? Is your life live with that kind of integrity? Where your obedience is instantly obedient, is instant obedience like it was in the life of Joseph. Would you pray with me today? I want to ask you that question. The question I think is the most meaningful question we could ask, and that is, do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? If you don't, He calls to you, the Spirit of God calls to you today and says, follow me. Follow me. That's going to mean giving up your life, giving Him the ownership, but follow Christ Maybe for some of you today, as you think about Joseph and you think about his life and you think about what's going on in your own life, you're asking the question, God, do I see my current situation? Do I see my waiting? Do I see it as a place where you're reforming and transforming my character? Ask him that. Ask him, where's the rough edge that you want to knock off today? Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the story of Joseph. It speaks so clearly to who we are. To where we are in the midst of our waiting. To where we are in the midst of our own prisons. Our struggle. Father, I pray for those who may not have a relationship with you. Or who do not have a relationship. Speak ever so clearly to them right now. Do not let them wait. Why wait? Why not give your life to Christ today? Lord, Speak that word into their lives. Father, help us to get our eyes up and to look for the people that you want us to minister to. The people that we need to see when they're downcast on a particular day and simply ask, how can I support? How can I encourage? How can I lift you up? Father, show us how to live our lives in obedience, instant obedience, 
for what you've called us to. In Jesus' name.